Greetings, and welcome to the Get Hiking Southeast podcast. I'm Joe Miller, and I'll be leading this adventure. Why me? Why am I at the front of the pack? Well, for the last decade or so, I've been leading hikes and backpack trips in the Southeast, and for nearly three decades, I've been writing about adventure in the region as a newspaper columnist, guidebook author, and as a blogger. Our focus in the Get Hiking Southeast podcast, telling the stories of the hikers and the trails, especially those lesser-known trails in the southeastern United States. The fire that started February 12th northeast of Unicoi State Park in White County, Georgia, has been contained after burning 184 acres. All roads and recreation areas that had been affected by the fire have reopened, with the exception of the Smith Creek Trail, which will reopen when the National Forest Service deems it safe. No word on the cause of the fire. In Virginia, the Forest Service will begin conducting prescribed burns in the Mount Rogers National Recreation Area, including a 286-acre burn in Wythe County, 3.5 miles north of Rural Retreat. That burn may temporarily close Forest Service Road 727. A second burn of 116 acres is planned in Grayson County, 2.8 miles northeast of Whitetop. Exact dates for both burns will be determined based on weather conditions. If you're planning to explore either area soon, you can find the latest by calling the Mount Rogers National Recreation Area office at 276-783-5196 or by checking the area's social media, links for which will be in our show notes. Finally, the Blue Ridge Parkway continued to be the most visited national park in the United States in 2021, drawing nearly 16 million visitors, the National Park Service reports. Of particular interest, there was a 12.4% increase in camping over 2019, 2020 being a bit of an anomaly and a year of which we do not speak. Tent camping was up 9.9% and RV use was up 16.3%. Camping along the 469-mile Blue Ridge Parkway has increased 56.8% since 2014. If you're interested in learning more about the Parkway's popularity, check out the National Park Service Social Science website, the link for which is in our show notes. Ditto the link to find information on stats for other NPS units. And that is the news for this week. So we're finally getting to that time of year and that would be spring, when our thoughts turn to getting out on the trail for some people, getting out on the trail period for those who take a hiatus during the winter months, and for those who don't, those who uh, hike during the winter but generally do shorter hikes, it's the time of year we start thinking about longer hikes. And it's also the time of year when we start thinking about some of the longer hikes that we plan to do come summer and fall. Now that can range from um, uh, summer hiking trips that we do on our own to ones that are sponsored by the likes of uh, um, like REI or um, Road Scholars, for instance, Uh, hikes that um, are multi-day hikes that cover a fair amount of territory that you need to be in good shape for when you sign up for them. And also there's, there's also, we've had people who have come to us and and trained with us for events such as climbing Kilimanjaro, for instance, Uh, also uh, Machu Picchu, 
single day events that are very challenging um, and that uh, you, you just can't go into willy nilly. Now I hear, I hear from people who do the road scholar trips and who do some of the REI trips that there are people who show up this way and um, greatly regret it. So today we're gonna talk a little bit about what you can do to keep from uh, having yourself in that type of a position once you're a vent hike, or you know, even if you're just looking at getting out a lot during the summer and fall, how you can start working now to build up the stamina and strength to make those longer trips more enjoyable. So we're gonna start out with the fact that one, you are a hiker and you are not a gym rat. The reason you're on the trail is because you don't like being inside in a gym and your training should reflect that. The training that I, um, how I come to this is uh, about 11 years ago, I was a hike leader and coach for a group called Cure Search for Children's Cancer their main fundraiser was uh, was a hike. It was called the Ultimate Hike. It still is called the Ultimate Hike. It's still doing quite well. It's a, a, a program in which people would sign up to hike 28.3 miles in one day. In the case of the the hike that I was coaching, that was on the Foothills Trail in uh, that straddles the North Carolina South Carolina line. We would have a 12-week training program that would get people built up to be able to do this hike. Um, the 12-week training program had to be able to look at people who, uh, some of the people who did this hike had no hiking experience. Some of them were hikers and were, were looking to just up their game. So we had to have a, a program that would accommodate both, but, but would basically get people in the position to where they could, eight, to, could hike 28.3 miles in one day. And I will say that uh, in the time that I was coaching, which was about five years, I believe uh, the people who participated in the training program, there was only one person who did not make it all the way to the end. And that was because of injury. So they were able to train and get up to the point where they could do this entire 28.3 mile hike. And there really, there probably aren't too many events that you can do that are gonna be much longer than that. So the plan that we're talking about helping you create um, should be able to help you um, with, with a, uh, just about anything that you would have in mind for the summer or fall. So where do we start? We start with a back out plan. We take the date of the event, or if you have a target for when you really wanna start doing some longer hikes, that'll work. You take the number of weeks you have until the event, and then you create a schedule of hikes that will build toward that goal. Um, and uh, the way to do that is, is basically to look at the end mileage that you want to achieve or build up to. And then you create the schedule of increasingly longer and more challenging hikes um, and put those numbers down on a map or on a map, on a calendar. So you put the numbers down on a calendar and then you find hikes that will um, that will fulfill that goal. And generally, for our southeast area, that is not too hard to do because there are uh, there are so many great trails that should be fairly close to where you are. So let's say that you're training for a single event. Um, you would want to start out with your weekly hikes, 
you'd want to hike a minimum of one hike a week. Now, <clears throat> as we get into um, spring and when daylight savings time kicks in, it'll be easier to work in a hike or two during the week. Uh, Time-wise, if that's not possible, as long as you're getting at least one increasingly longer hike in during the week, that will help you get to where you need to be. And again, you want to build gradually and consistency to the desired distance. The longest training hike that you do ideally should be at least 80% of your event hike. Uh, 80% is kind of a, a rough number. Um, using the ultimate hike as an ex example, that was a 28.3 mile hike. The longest training hike we did was 20 miles, but as I told the hikers, it was going to be a harder hike than the actual um, hike on the Foothills Trail. And it, they all agreed that indeed it was. It was a hike that we did in the Uari Mountains, which is fairly close to um, where everybody in, um, in our training area lived. So <laughs> I found a very hard hike that we were able to do 20 miles. And uh, that, uh, that was a little less than 80%. I think it comes out to about 71%. Um, but that did the trick. So you want to you wanna hike. It's kind of the same um approach that marathon runners take to run a 26.3 mile or 26.1 mile race uh your longest training hike should probably be at least 20 miles so similar concept here um and your longest hike should also be no more than two weeks out from the date of your event within two weeks you want to start to taper so again when you get back to your schedule you want to consider that uh, again, with the, with the ultimate hike, we had our 20 mile hike two weeks out. And then the week before, I think we did a pretty easy six mile hike. During this time, you want to be sensitive to injuries. Now injuries, sometimes it's difficult to distinguish between an injury and just being sore from, um, from the increased amount of training. But if you start to notice, uh, inflammation, if you start to notice, uh, uh a condition that won't go away, there's a chance that, that you might be injured. You might want to have that look at looked at. Um, again, injuries are, are difficult because some, some injuries are actually, you know, it's just that you're sore, that your muscles are sore. Um, and those can be, those can be hiked through. You can cut back a little bit, um, but you do want to be aware that uh, if a condition exists, you don't want to turn into a, um, a long-standing injury, then um, just be, be aware that uh, you need to pay attention and listen to your body. And again, you want to taper those last two weeks, do that long hike two weeks out, um, and then ease back. Don't stop altogether, keep moving, but uh, definitely the week before you want to take a fairly mellow hike. You'll also want to try to replicate the terrain that you'll be training on, uh, replicate in your training, the terrain that you'll be on, including elevation. Now, in this part of the country, that can be a little bit hard to do. Say you're doing a week-long um, hiking vacation in the Rockies, you're obviously going to be at some high elevation. So training for altitude, the best way you're going to be able to do that is just to get out to where you're going. Say you're going to Rocky Mountain National Park and you're going to be hiking, you know, in the 10 to 12,000 foot range. Uh, you might want to 
go to Denver first, you'll probably fly into Denver. And there are a series of good mountain parks that are just along the Front Range. You could spend two days hiking in that area between five and 7,000 feet just to get up to speed, kind of get your body used to the lack of oxygen. Um, but otherwise, with the terrain, it, it is, again, it's a little difficult to, to replicate some of the climbs that you would be doing out west. However, uh, we have some pretty good training hikes in the Southern Appalachians. Um, Mount Mitchell comes to mind, the, the, uh, the Mount Mitchell Trail, which starts from the Black Mountain Campground and goes five and a half miles up to Mitchell. You gain 3,700 vertical feet. That is a pretty good training hike. And there are several others that are, um, that are like that. That, um, that you can easily gain over 3,000 vertical feet. And in a lot of these instances, that gain that you're going to be getting in the Southern Appalachians, that vertical gain is going to be faster than what you would find, say, in the West. Um, you'll run into more um, um, the profile, the elevation profiles on some of the hikes. A lot of the hikes out West aren't quite as severe. So you can find good training um, if, if you need to be working on um, training for a mountain event. If you're training for a multi-day event, and that would be, say, a road scholar trip where you're hiking, I don't know, five miles a day. Um, again, you want to stick with the weekly hikes. Uh, the longest hike that you do should be the length of the longest hike in your multi-day event. And generally, in, if you're hiking multiple days, most of those aren't going to be pushing high mileage. Um, well, I guess high, depending on what you're used to, but um, you'd probably be looking somewhere in the, I don't know, four to eight mile range. Just make sure that you do a hike that is, uh, that is the length of your longest day, day on the multi-day event. Again, your longest hike should be no more than two weeks out from the date of your event. Again, be sensitive to injuries. A key difference here is that you want to work in at least two back-to-back hikes uh, and one hike of three days in a row of comparable distance to what you're going to be hiking. Just so you're used to um, hiking, say, five miles and then getting up the next day and hiking another five miles. A lot of times we do a five mile hike on the weekend, get up the next day a little bit sore and you think, ah, I, I need a day off. I need a day of rest. Well, on a multi-day event, you won't have that. So what you'll need to do is go out that second day and you'll find in most cases that if you start slow, especially on that second day, the first half mile or so, that soreness is going to work itself out and you'll be amazed at, um, the, at how not easy, but how doable that, um, that second day is. And again, if you can do a, a three day back to back to back, that would be ideal. That'll give you a real good idea of what a multi-day event is going to be like. Um, <clears throat> again, taper the last two weeks. Um, and your multi-day training hikes should be um, overall, in general, as you're hiking, they should be 80% of the length of your event. Although, again, you're going to want to do at least one hike that is the distance of the longest hike in your multi-day event. So cross-training, again, uh, we are not gym rats. We like the trail. The more hiking you can do, the better, obviously. But obviously, also, 
other things happen and you don't always have time to get in the car and drive half an hour to a trailhead for a two hour hike and then a half hour back. So um, other things that you can do. So I find that um, if you basically just keep doing whatever it is you like to do or have to do, one of the best cross training um, exercises I have found is yard work. And as we're getting into the spring and summer season, uh, if you have a house, there's going to be yard work coming up. It can be a great, great core training, um, a cross training exercise, in part because it does work the core muscles. And the core muscles, especially if you're doing longer events and back-to-back events, uh, you want to have a strong core. Get a lot of people who do long hikes and then... Um, They'll do the long hike, and toward the end of that hike, they they start to get back fatigue. That's generally because of weak core muscles. So if you can work on, on your core as well, that is the one kind of gym-like thing, although you, you don't necessarily need to do it in a gym. Um, you can go on to... Um, go on to YouTube and you can find some good core muscle exercises that, that aren't really intense. It's not like you've got to build a six pack um, ab situation. It's not like you have to emerge as Charles Atlas, but you're just looking to build up some good core strength. You want to also want to build up some good flexibility. Um, and one way you can do that, one way you can achieve both is, is by doing a yoga practice. Now, um, that doesn't mean that you necessarily have to go to a yoga studio. As a result of the pandemic, there are all kinds of online yoga programs um, that you can tap into that, that perform a variety of functions. One that I've found that works well for me is called Yoga with Adrian, and that's on YouTube. One of the things that works well for me with um, this particular program is that uh, there are so many different options, including an option by time. She has playlists of uh, videos that are less than 10 minutes, 10 minutes to 20 minutes, 20 to 30 and up. So if you're short on time and you know don't have time for a half hour yoga, you could do a 10 minute and you could find one uh, that she also identifies by what it's gonna help you with which is another good thing about these particular videos is that they do address certain, um, certain conditions and uh, certain ways to build strength and flexibility. So I would highly recommend that as well. As far as stretching goes, uh, for the longest time, um, stretching, like say if you were an athlete in high school, um, they did a lot of uh, static stretching at the beginning of every event. And it turns out that that, that kind of stretching um, can actually damage muscle. If you're starting with cold muscles and you're doing these static stretches, um, there's, a, there's, a good, there's a better chance for injury. So what they recommend now, especially with hiking, is just start at a slow pace. If you're used to hiking at three miles an hour on the trail, um, start at it about two and a half, maybe even uh, two, just start out slow. And then after a half a mile, once your body's warmed up, then you can accelerate, but that's a great way to start it, start. And then stretching, uh, post hike stretches at the end. Uh, again, if you go onto YouTube, 
just or on the internet, you can find several options for post-hike stretches. And if you just Google post-hike stretches, you can find some really good options. A few more things. Um, uh, this is important. This is really important. Do not change your nutritional practices during an event. If you're going to mess with your, your nutrition and what you're going to be eating on the trail, do that during your training period. Uh, sometimes your body does not respond well to changes like that, especially when you're asking a lot of your body. I've known people who decided at the last minute that they were going to use uh, power gels, for instance, and just nothing else, mainly because they're convenient and they've read that you can get a you know, a good boost of power if you take one every half hour, 45 minutes. Trouble with that is they can wreak havoc on your stomach. So if you're going to be on the trail for eight hours, the last thing you want is to get into hour three and suddenly you have intestinal issues. So tinker with that during your practice. Uh, see what works for you. See what helps keep your energy levels up. Um, but again, don't do it during the event. You also want to make sure that the shoes you will be wearing in your event are broken in. Now, one of the great things about most of the fabric shoes these days, they don't take much to break in. Not like the leather shoes of yore. <clears throat> I remember leading a trip at Doughton Park years ago, and we got to, we took a lunch break at Wildcat Rocks, which is probably about six miles in. And this guy was on the hike with us sits was sitting on a rock wall and he took his boots off and his his feet looked terrible and i went over and i, I said man are you doing okay do you need anything and he said nope nope just breaking the breaking the shoes in he goes i'm, I'm doing a trip in europe um at the end of the summer and i just want to make sure these these uh, boots are broken in and i looked at him and i said so um just out of curiosity how long have you had the boots? And he said, well, I've had them about a year and I've got about 400 miles on them. And I, they tell me I need about another 400 before they're broken in. And I was thinking this guy's going to kill himself before he gets another 400 miles with these boots. So fabric boots today, fabric shoes, uh, no such problem. Um, but you don't want to take them right out of the box and do an event. If you can get, you know, 10 miles in beforehand, you should be fine. Um, similar with clothes, you'll want to make sure that you're familiar with the clothes that you're, uh, you'll be hiking in. Um, they can cause, uh, chafing, uh, just all kinds of unforeseen problems can occur if you start hiking in new clothes that you've never hiked a long distance in. Hydrate, drink, drink, drink. And uh, really this starts before, well before the event, I would say the week before your big event, your big hiking event, just start making sure that you're getting enough to drink. And by enough to drink, probably looking at, um, oh gosh, probably at least uh, 120 ounces of, of water a day. So maybe a couple, couple bottles in the morning, a bottle in the afternoon, just to make sure that, um, that you're continuing to um, to keep going like that. So um, don't look at training as a way to lose weight. And also use your trekking poles. Trekking poles are one of the best uh, advantages that you can get for being on the trail. So that is 
um, that's pretty much it. We're going to have some notes in the show notes, and I will be able to tell you a little bit. Um, uh, yeah, just go to our show notes, and we'll have some links where you can get some additional information about training for long-distance hikes. So hope it's been helpful, and I hope you are able to get out and start doing some longer hikes. Thanks so much. That's our show for this week. I hope you liked it and that you'll be back. In the meantime, a reminder that the Get Hiking Southeast podcast is a part of the Get Hiking and Get Backpacking universe, where instead of just telling you about great places to go, we take you there. We have a backpack trip coming up the weekend of March 11th through the 13th, a base camp backpacking trip to the Mount Rogers area of Virginia. We'll hike about a mile in full pack, set up base camp, then do day hikes of 12 and 6 miles from there. Our first Get Hiking Weekend Escape of 2022, with two and a half days of hiking at Jones Lake State Park, Turnbull State Educational Forest, and the Bay Tree Lake Natural Area in North Carolina's Coastal Plain is the weekend of March 4th through 6th. And our last winter wild off-trail adventure for the 2021 season is March 12th in the Burkhead Mountain Wilderness of Central North Carolina. Eight miles of hiking old roads, old roadbeds, and some trail, but with a bit of bushwhacking thrown in. You can learn more about these adventures and everything else we do at GetGoingNC.com. Click on Explore With Us. If you like what we're doing here at the Get Hiking Southeast podcast, please do leave a review with the podcast vendor from whom you receive this weekly communication. And if you don't like it, or if you have some constructive criticism, or perhaps a topic for an upcoming episode, drop us a line at joe at getgoingnc.com. Until we meet again, get out and explore. Thank you.